This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions. Hello and welcome to this BMJ Best Practice podcast on heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm clinical director at BMJ. Heart failure is common and about half of patients with heart failure have normal or near normal left ventricular, left ventricular ejection fraction. Should we investigate or treat these patients differently? To tell us, we have on the line Dr. Jerry Carr-White, who is consultant cardiologist at Guy's and St. Thomas's in London. And importantly, Jerry is also author of our BMJ best practice topic on this disease. So Jerry, you're welcome. Let's start off by asking you, what exactly is heart failure with preserved ejection fraction? Thank you, Kieran, and it's a pleasure to, to be here. So, so I think the most important thing to start with is to get this diagnosis, you have to have the signs and symptoms of heart failure. So you have to be breathless, you have to have swollen ankles, swollen tummy, lethargy, shortness of breath when you lie down flat, and you have to have some of the clinical signs that go with it. So edema, a raised venous pressure. So they're the, the cardinal features of heart failure. We then split heart failure into those with normal or preserved ejection fraction. And that's where the, the heart pumps out a, a normal percentage of its blood in one beat. So typically over 50 or 55%. And that's opposed to those with reduced ejection fraction where the heart will only pump out about 40 or below percent of its blood in one beat. So you have to have the signs and symptoms. You have to have this preserved pumping, which you look at with echo or other things such as MRI. And then there's two other bits in the diagnosis, which I think is really important. So we, we get an accurate diagnosis in these patients. So, so typically you have a, a raised BMP level. This is a peptide level that's released with stretch in the heart. So I think to have heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, that has to be raised. And then you have to have some structural abnormality on the imaging, typically on the echo, where you have dilated atria, you have thick ventricular walls, or you have various different echo markers that suggest the, the filling pressures in the heart are high. So I think that's the sort of brief overview of what it is. Okay, great. Thank you. That's really helpful. And so what exactly causes it? If the, if the ejection fraction is okay, um, why is the heart failing? Yeah, really good question, Kieran. And I think what's becoming increasingly clear is that heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, it, it's not a single diagnosis. It's probably just a description of a whole load of, of different conditions that present with this common pathway of symptoms of heart failure. So there's a whole load of, of different underlying conditions that can cause it. So you can have common things such as high blood pressure, and that will make the walls of the left ventricle thick. And then although it pumps well, it just struggles to relax. And that leads to the pressures going up in the heart. But then there's a whole load of other slightly rarer conditions that can do it. So there's some genetic conditions, some types of restrictive cardiomyopathy that run through families that can do it. I think an increasingly recognized condition that does do it is something called amyloidosis. 
and there's different types of that, but particularly in the the Afro-Caribbean population, that's an important cause of this heart failure of preserved ejection fraction. And we now have treatments for that for the first time. So you know, really important that people managing these patients try and find the potential underlying causes. So there's a whole host of different things that underlying it. And then you have a lot of people where you don't find a clear underlying cause. And just for whatever reason, the heart becomes a little bit stiffer it's not quite so good at relaxing. And these tend to be elderly patients, often female patients, and they often have a lot of other comorbidities like lung and kidney problems, diabetes and high blood pressure. So, so I think they're the, the main causes, but it, it, it's definitely clear that this is really a, just a description of multiple different disease processes. Okay, thank you. That's that's really helpful. And by elderly, are we talking about people in their 80s? or? So, so if you look at the data we've got at the moment, the, the average age of, of people with heart failure preserved eject fraction that come into hospital um, is somewhere between 77 and 80. And there's a little bit of work saying that actually if you actively screen for people with this, maybe it's even higher in the sort of early 80s. So, so, so definitely a condition of the elderly and typically these patients have four or five other significant comorbidities so it's very much managing people with long-term conditions. Okay thank you and tell us about recent advances in diagnosis if, if there have been any. So, so I think that there's a lot of work in this area at the moment that the mainstay of the diagnosis you know, remains the clinical signs and symptoms. Um, in terms of the imaging we use, again, most of the time it's echo, and there's been, you know, a lot of work trying to work out what the best measures are. So looking at left atrial volumes and indexing it to the body surface area is looking very promising. Looking at strain imaging and velocity of the way the heart muscle moves seems to be helpful. There's been some nice work with MRI more recently, looking at how the heart muscle moves and also looking at measures of diffuse fibrosis within the muscle, which tend to be linked to muscle stiffness. So again, that's showing some promise, but I, I think it's fair to say there's, there's nothing game-changing in the diagnosis over the last few years. Okay, thank you. And you also mentioned BNP, I, I think. Um, is that different to ANP? Yeah, it is. So, so BNP is sort of beta or brain natriuretic peptide. So, so, so we use this as a rule-out test for all kinds of heart failure, whether it's preserved, mid-range, or reduced ejection fraction. So if you have a normal BNP, it's fair to say that the vast majority of times you don't have heart failure. If your BMP is raised, then you need further investigation to see if you do have heart failure. And that applies both to preserved and reduced ejection fraction. The, the levels with preserved ejection fraction are probably half what they are with reduced. But, but in terms of primary care, A&E management, if you suspect heart failure, you know, the first line is measure a BMP. If that's normal, you don't have heart failure. If it's abnormal, you go on and do the echo. Okay, thank you. That's, that's very clear. And what are the common pitfalls or mistakes that people make in diagnosis in, in, in your experience? There's a lot of 
different viewpoints here, Kieran, but I, from a very personal view here, I, I think sometimes this is a condition that can be overdiagnosed. So there's a, a lot of people with swollen ankles who are breathless who get given this label of heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. But I think sometimes actually they, they don't have it. So, so I think when you're managing these people, you've got to be really firm about getting a clear diagnosis. So, so you have the symptoms and signs, but you have to have a raised BMP and you have to have a structural abnormality on your echo or your MRI to to really be sure about the diagnosis of heart failure with preserved ejection fraction. Um, otherwise, it sort of becomes a, a common label you can throw at anyone with swollen ankles and, and who's breathless. And I think that, that then leads to the patients perhaps having medicines they don't need or medicines that make their kidneys worse. So we really do need a, a clear and firm diagnosis in these patients. Thank you. That moves us smoothly on to management. Uh, can you tell us about recent advances in management? I can, and this will be a fairly short answer, I'm afraid. So, so in patients with heart failure and reduced ejection fraction, there's a whole variety of, of devices and medicines that improve prognosis. In heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, we don't have anything that's prognostic at the moment. So they've tried ACE inhibitors, they've tried Sacubitrol, Valsartan, mineral corticoid antagonist. None of these clearly improve prognosis and outcomes. So it's very much symptomatic treatment for these patients. So diuretics and combinations of diuretics to manage swollen of ankles or fluid on the lungs and breathlessness. And then the, the key additional point of their management is managing the comorbidities. So the coronary artery disease, really good blood pressure control. A lot of these patients have atrial fibrillation, so they need reasonable rate control of that with anticoagulation as appropriate. Um, looking to the future, there's, there's a little bit of evidence that actually picking up markers early can help you institute the diuretics early. So there's some pressure sensors you can implant in the pulmonary artery. There's a CardioMEMS device that potentially has shown some benefit in picking up the heart pressures building up at an earlier stage. Um, but, but unfortunately, beyond that, it, it's been quite disappointing in, in effective treatments for this condition. Okay, thank you. And um, pitfalls in management, um, anything that people should watch out for, beware? Don't start giving lots of diuretics to people unless you're got a really clear diagnosis so you've got to raise BMP clear structural abnormalities on your echocardiogram um, so, so I think that's one of the, the pitfalls the, the second pitfall is is looking for that underlying diagnosis um, that can be poorly treated blood pressure it can be some of these rarer conditions because sometimes you can find something that has a a specific guided treatment to, to help improve things. And I think one of the other things that um, that we're very poor at, I think, is the whole self-management, multidisciplinary management, um, cardiac rehabilitation. And in this group of sort of elderly symptomatic patients, 
having a multidisciplinary team managing their all their comorbidities and uh, putting them through a, a cardiac rehab program is, is incredibly beneficial and and I think often neglected in them. So I'd encourage people to always consider cardiac rehab in this group of patients. Okay, thank you. That's that's very clear. What have we missed? Are there any other common questions you get asked about this disease that we haven't asked you up to now? Lots of times people with heart failure don't ask what they really want to ask. And often it's, you know, what's my outlook? How long am I going to live? What's the prognosis with this condition? Um, And and that's often a a really hard one to answer. But if, if you look at people with heart failure and reduced and preserved ejection fraction actually the outlooks are are not dissimilar between the two types of heart failure Um, and it's very much guided by by your age by your comorbidities whether you have coronary artery disease on top but i think one of the things we, we do need to do is have a you know an open discussion with patients about their outlook and maybe bring it up and and ask them you know what level of detail they they would like to ask. I think there's certainly, as people get more unwell and potentially reach end of life, just just a way to manage these patients in a more comfortable way so they're out of hospital. And I, I think there's a lot of people do ask me about giving, you know, diuretics and intravenous diuretics in the community setting. And I, you know, completely encourage that. I think that's something we should be doing across the country wherever possible. Okay, thank you very much, Jerry, and thanks to you all for listening. We hope this has been helpful, and we hope you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better diagnose and manage affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and look at the content on this and other diseases. Thank you once again. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes.